0: Began our study last Sunday, the book of Matthew. And I thought how appropriate that we see that video and realize that as we open the pages to the Gospel of Matthew, we're on the way to the cross. Jesus came to earth willingly to ultimately sacrifice himself for you and I. As we study God's holy word, we need to look at each scripture in light of the entire Bible. Realize that God's Word lives, but God's Word is interwoven. God's Word is connected throughout all its pages from the very beginning when God created all things to the very end of Revelation. And it all speaks to the truth of God's Holy Word. I'm praying that our adventure as we go through the Gospel of Matthew is going to change each and every one of our lives. Because we're going to see God's word maybe in a new light. See things we never thought about or never saw. Or maybe we didn't realize how it's interrelated with other scriptures throughout the Bible. I shared with you last week the genealogy and how the depth of that genealogy proved that Jesus Christ was the legal royal heir of the throne of David. We're going to see some things today in the divine coming of Jesus Christ. How God sent his son into this world that I'm praying that it will speak to your heart. But as we think about the book of Matthew here, as we think about these stories, and every one of the stories you saw in that video, we're going to see in the book of Matthew here. But I'm praying that we'll see God's light, God's word in a new way, that God will illuminate to, uh, to you and I, and yet again transform our life, that we get even more and more delighted and more and more excited about reading God's holy word and allow God's word to wash over us, pour over us, and yet again, transform our lives into everything that God would have us to be. So I'm praying that's your prayer as well. December 1903. Many of you have maybe been there before. But uh, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, Orville and Wilbur Wright flew for the very first time. They'd been defeated many times but didn't give up. And they finally flew for the very first time in early December 1903. They were so excited about that they sent a telegram telegram home to their mother and their father, and they addressed it to their sister, Catherine. They said, hey, we flew 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. And so Catherine was all excited, and she took it down to the paper, a small little town they lived in, and she wanted to put it in the paper that her brothers had had this great success. Well, the next day, she got up and picked up her paper, and the paper said, hey, the the Wright brothers will be home for Christmas. Didn't say anything about flying. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting how, you know, they The newspaper missed the biggest point of that little note. I want you to know this morning that God desires for us not to miss the most important things about His Holy Word. Over and over we see throughout the Bible God sending His ambassadors and His missionaries here into this world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with us, but also for us to know these things. The prophets over and over throughout the whole history of Israel in the Old Testament kept saying, Repent! Consecrate yourself, and why was it? Were they saying that because God has something to say? If you look back in the Old Testament and see the word repent, every time you see the word repent in the Old Testament, God is getting ready to say something. He wants His people to get their heart right, to take their eyes off the things they got their eyes on, and set their affections on Him, so He can speak to them. God wants the same thing today. The apostles remember all their writings, the epistles, but also the gospels here. God has directed you and I to learn and to grow. If you study the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, they're the bigger part of the New Testament. He prayed for every one of the churches he wrote those epistles to. He wasn't praying that their church would grow. He wasn't praying that they'd be free of persecution. He wasn't praying for their illnesses, although those things are all important. Every time you read an epistle from Paul, the number one thing he's praying for in his people is that they know God, that you might know God. I pray that you know God. We're going to study a little bit about Matthew today, but I want to put a little bit of an undergirding here this morning in the realm of what we need to pray for ourselves. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to kind of set the stage for this scripture we're about to read. The Apostle Paul had been the pastor of the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. He also loved that church. And that church was doing a lot of things great, but he wanted them to understand fully the riches in Christ. He wanted them to know all the things that we have because Jesus Christ came and died upon that cross. And so he was praying for them a very specific prayer. And I believe this is one of the greatest, most powerful intercessory prayers in the New Testament. And you're going to see the same thing here as we read it in just a moment. But Paul was desiring for his precious brothers and sisters at the church of Ephesus to know God. If you found your way to Ephesians 1... We're going to begin in the 15th verse. Stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. This is Paul speaking to his church, the church at Ephesus. He says, therefore, verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul was a prayer warrior. Paul was an intercessor. You know, many times Paul found himself in a position where he couldn't be with his people. But you know what he always did? He always prayed for them. And he wrote letters to him, many of them from prison. Verse 17, that the, making mention you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, now listen to this, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, the revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Look at verse 17 again. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Let's pray. Father, may you bless our time together today, Father, as we desire to bless you, Father. As we read your word, Father, give us your wisdom, Father. Enlighten us, Father. Illuminate your word to us, Father. Lord, we realize, Lord, that your word means so much more, Father, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through your word to our hearts. Father, I know that I can stand up here, Father, and I can say things that are going to reach people's ears, Father. But, Lord, only you can take it from their ears to their heart, Father. So we pray for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit today and every day, Father, not just here in the worship service, Father, but also in Sunday school classes. When we get into our holy word, your holy word, Father, each and every day, Father, speak to our hearts to the power of your Holy Spirit that you might illuminate our souls, Father, and yet again transform our lives for your glory. Father, we thank you now for this time in your word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ and pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. You may have heard this before, but everyone stands somewhere. Everyone stands somewhere. We may not be exactly where we're standing, but we always stand somewhere. If you can imagine for just a moment, somebody went over to you and said, Hey, I want to pull a little trick with you, do a little experiment with you. And they took you out to their car, and they put a blindfold on you. And they said, I'm going to drive you around for about an hour blindfolded, and I'm going to let you out of the car. You might be thinking, Oh, my gosh, where's this going to be at? Where am I going to go? Well, they do. They drive you for an hour. You can't see where you're going. Finally, they stop. They take the blindfold off, and you get out of the car, and you have no idea where you're at. No idea. I've never been here before. I've never seen it before. And they drive off. You're standing there, but you're not sure where you're at. I want you to understand that just like we can stand places geographically, we can also stand places biblically. And many times we're standing in the Bible maybe, and we're understanding and reading the Bible, but we're not really sure what this means. We're not really sure where I'm at in this Bible. How does this fit my life? How does it affect my life? I heard a great pastor a few weeks ago say, this he says you know every time you preach people should at the end of the sermon are going to be asking the question so what every time you sit in the school class and listen to lesson maybe your question is so what you know we want to know how this word applies to my life the power of the holy spirit gives us that insight the holy spirit teaches us these things and illuminates things in such ways. oh aha i get it now i understand that now And as we think about where we're standing in the Bible, and we're all there. Nobody knows the Bible completely. and We've got a lot of people in this church right now that are phenomenal students of the Bible. And they know a lot about the Bible. But you know what? What does God tell us in Isaiah 40? That His understanding is unsearchable. That we'll never get to the the end of what He understands about His Holy Word and He wants to teach us. So every day can be an adventure as we get into His Holy Word. God desires to... Show us miracles in our life. God desires for you and I to live in such a way as we realize every day by the power of His Holy Spirit, by the power of His Holy Word, that, man, i got this incredible life that God's given me. I see this today. I never saw it before. Amy and I call them mystery moments. We ask each other occasionally, Did you have a mystery moment today? Many times yes, sometimes no. But God desires to give us these moments in our life when we see something in His Holy Word that touches our life in such a way that changes us. Have you been changed by the power of Jesus Christ in your life? The number one identifying mark of somebody that's a follower of Jesus Christ is their life has changed. But God doesn't do the whole change the day you got saved, the day you got baptized and said, "Hey, I'm proclaiming to the world and I'm saved now because I got saved two weeks ago and now I'm baptized and you let the world know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower." God desires a change is ongoing. Too many times though, because we get so busy or we get focused on other things, we miss out on the opportunities every day for God to transform our lives. Because we don't spend enough time in His Holy Word, we don't look at God's Holy Word from His perspective and ask God, "Show me these things." We don't study God's Word. I've been impressed with people through my lifetime where they know phenomenal facts about things. I mean, they're walking dictionary, or walking encyclopedia. They know stuff. That's the way we need to be about the Holy Bible—to know God's Holy Word in such a way as, "Man, I know His Word." But I can't wait to get back into it tomorrow because every time I get into his holy word, he shows me something different. Do we have a hunger and thirst for God's holy word? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's word. Why? For they shall be filled up. Filled up with what? Filled up with God. Understand this world from God's perspective. See people from God's perspective. See the world from God's perspective. See the way I need to carry myself from God's perspective. God desires to show you and I things every single day. One thing for sure that you and I can know today that every one of us stands someplace in relationship to the Bible. That's between you and God and that's your desire to say, hey, I want to stand in a greater way here with God and His Holy Bible. I'm praying maybe as we go through the book of Matthew that we can all kind of decide this is going to be the year of the Bible for me. I want this to be the year of the Bible in my life. I want to get into God's Word this year more than I ever have. Why? Because I believe every time I get in there it changes me. God gives me these incredible things. God wants you and I to know this. He wants you and I to know where we're going to stand before we have to stand there. Did you hear that? God wants you and I to know where we're going to stand before we have to stand there. I want to understand how I need to treat this person that's mean to me. And I want to understand how to do that and where I need to stand before I have to actually face that person. I want to understand this world before I have to face some of the hard things in the world. You know, one of the things I've seen over the years, and it's, it's interesting... Is a lot of times how it mind too. How our prayer life kind of goes up to a whole new level when we have a desperate need. How, how it goes up to a whole new level when I'm troubled about something, maybe something personally or something with a family member or something that's just uh, troubling. You know how my prayer life goes up to the next level. God wants us to be desperate for Him all the time. And when we're desperate for God all the time, you know what happens when those hard times come along. I'm always desperate for God, so I'm just desperate for Him now again. But we're already walking at a level with God where that light and momentary affliction that comes our way doesn't sink our ship. You know, Matthew was a pivot point, a phenomenal pivot point. We talked about it last week a little bit. And a phenomenal pivot point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The prophets have been in silence for 400 years and all of a sudden silence was shattered by the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. The number one theme of the book of Matthew, we mentioned it last week, is that we would know that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. Christ, you know what that means? It means Messiah. You know what Messiah means? It means the anointed one, the anointed one of God. God sent him into this world. Last week we examined the evidence that led to the fact that Jesus Christ did come from the genealogy. And Matthew put it in there specifically for the Jews. Today we're going to look at three additional evidences about Jesus Christ being the Christ, being the Messiah. We're going to look at his divine birth. It's kind of going to feel like Christmas for you this morning a little bit. We're going to look at the unexpected worship of those Gentiles, the wise men. Then we're going to look at the hostility towards the king, the hostility of Herod. You know, let's look at the divine birth for just a second to start with. You guys know as well as I do that uh, there's a, the, a push out there for universalism as far as God. The world today would tell you that there's no difference between all the gods. They're all the same. If you send your child to college now, most liberal colleges out there, liberal arts colleges right now, go to a religion class, you know what they're going to teach you? That, that they're all the same. There's no difference between the religions. None of them, they're all the same. You know what those college professors have? it almost right, because they are all the same, except for one. They're all the same. Every other religion in the world takes man's involvement to win their salvation, to win their eternity. Every other one. There's only one faith out there. There's only one true religion. You know that? There's only one true living God who has a son named Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And the difference there is that we don't have to do anything. It's by grace that we're saved. Once we're saved and inherit that, uh, and adopted into his family and inherit that eternal life, then there's an opportunity for you and I to serve and to grow in our faith. Some 2,000 years ago, God's son stepped down, changed everything, stepped down from his throne in heaven to a lowly barn in a manger where he was born as a little baby. Part of the essence of us studying. The book of Matthew here, we're going to see all these prophecies that Matthew, more than any other of the gospel writers, put in his book because he was talking to Jews, but also he wanted to substantiate, like I've already said, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He wanted us to see the prophecies. In verse 23, if you guys want to flip over with me now to Matthew chapter 1, keep your fingers there. We're going to keep looking at Matthew 1 and 2. We're going to skip around some of the scriptures here this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. We see Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I think many of you know that that's a direct quote from Isaiah, written 600 years before showed up here in this Bible in the New Testament. It comes out of Isaiah seven fourteen. The premise that we're going to establish here in just a moment is the fact that the virgin birth is not an optional article of faith. It's not optional. It's essential to the gospel. If Jesus Christ had not been born of a virgin, he would have had a human father, which meant he was not God, nor could he be a savior. If God had decided just to send a man for our salvation, you know what? That man could only sympathize for us. He could not save us. Listen to this. If God had sent just a God, Jesus Christ just as God, he could only judge us and condemn us. He could not save us because the sacrifice needed to be a sacrifice of a human being that was perfect. God sent His Son as 100% man and 100% God. Jesus Christ was both. He set aside His abilities as God and operated on this earth as a man just like you and I. He called upon the Holy Spirit. But He was the only sinless man that ever walked this earth. He walked without sin. Why? Because He kept His focus on God. Well, why did God send a man like Jesus Christ this earth? That we might see God. That we might get to understand God in a greater way. That we might see that God loved us so very much that he gave his only son to die for us. That we'd understand the sacrificing principle. That we have an opportunity here in this world as ourselves to give ourselves away. He sent Jesus Christ that we might see an example of what it looks like to walk with God in a great way. We all fall short. We know that. And God understands that as well. We celebrate every Sunday in this church the fact that an infinite God sent His Son into this world as a man and also as God. God with us Emmanuel means. We celebrate that every week. <coughs> There's something about that name. I want you to imagine for a moment that you and I are great friends, and I am many good friends with many of you. <coughs> but I came up today and pulled out my checkbook. And I decide I want to give you a blessing. So you say, well, that's awfully nice, but you don't have to. And I write the check out, and you look at it, and it's got a million dollars on it, my check. You would probably look at me and say, well, that's probably not worth much. And you're right. That would bounce from here to kingdom come out of my bank account. But you know what? If a fellow by the name of Bill Gates walked up and gave you a check for a million dollars, or Donald Trump or somebody that's got all the money out there, gave you a check for a million dollars, you'd probably say, that's unbelievable. I just won the lottery. Listen very carefully. It's all about the name, okay? My name doesn't carry with it a million dollars in the bank. Donald Trumps does and Bill Gates and some of the other wealthy guys out there, Rockefellers. It's all about the name, Jesus Christ. You know how you can tell? There's so many ways, but one thing I'm just going to touch on for a minute. Why does the name Jesus Christ offend so many people today? Because it's all about the name. They look at Jesus Christ, and when they ponder that and they don't know Him, they realize that represents an error in my life. Jesus is probably going to tell me that I'm not doing things right. I'm not doing things well. We get offended by Jesus Christ when we don't know Him and don't understand who He is and what He wants to do for us. They think it just means somebody wants to control my life, and they're not going to like the way I live. I don't need anybody controlling my life. There's something profoundly beautiful. About the name of Jesus Christ for those that know him. That we understand him. But you know what? As we come to know just the basics of our faith. The, the, the beautiful tenets of our faith. The fact that it was a virgin birth. The fact that he died upon that cross. You know what that should do? It should just win our appetite. It should just kind of peak an interest in us that's unquenchable. I can't get to know him in a greater way. I want to know him so well. Because what he did for me on that cross. The fact that a virgin birth. There's all kinds of people that refute that as well. But Jesus would not be, listen, this is very carefully. Jesus would not be Jesus if he had not come as a virgin, okay? He needed to be pure. I want you to also know this when we talk about names. You know, Jesus' mother Mary is precious, but she's not God, okay? And some people give her a deity. She's not God. She's just a woman that was obedient to God, and God used her because she was a faithful person. You know what? God wants to use us the same way. Not to do the same thing, but he wants to use us too out of our obedience and do things way beyond our abilities. You know, there's one other thing I want to talk about here in Jesus' birth, and we're going to move on and talk about the wise men for just a minute. But look at verses 18 through 20, chapter 2. I'm sorry, chapter one. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows: After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not want this is verses 18 and 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife." For which, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph heard these things, and Joseph had a predicament. I mean, he was baffled. Being a righteous man, it tells us there, but he wanted to do the right thing. But he had a tough situation. How could my precious bride? I mean, how, he knew Mary. How could that have happened? He knew it couldn't have happened. At the same time, she was pregnant. But God revealed Himself to her. I want you to know this this morning that uh, the birth of Jesus Christ creates a predicament in yours and my life as well. You and I are forced to make a decision. A decision about who Jesus Christ is but also his claims. You and I find ourselves in a quandary sometimes following Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's tough. It's not easy. The Bible very tells us that there's two ways to come. There's a narrow way and there's a broad way. The broad way leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to Life. And so the narrow way, not just accepting Jesus Christ but and understanding and accepting all these things the Bible says about Him, but also living that life. It's tough. But there's always a right way to confront tough situations. There's always a right way to confront predicaments that we find in our life. You know, it's interesting, the Scripture we just read told us that Joseph took time and met with God. He took time by himself, went out and pondered these things and took time to think about them and get alone. But also I want you to know when we face a predicament... God has the direction for us. It's a matter of waiting. It doesn't always show it right right then. But God always has an answer to the problem. And as we see that answer to the problem, we need to say, yes, God, okay, I'm going to follow you. God, I'm feeling you leading this way. God, I need direction. God, I want to know which way to go. God wants to show us. Look at Matthew 2 for a second now, first and second verse. We're going to see an unexpected question and an unexpected worship here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, chapter 2, verse 1, in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen the star in the east and have come to worship him. The unexpected question, here come Gentiles from the east, Gentiles that aren't Jews, that haven't had this whole scripture in front of them their whole life and taught from generation to generation. I believe they knew the scriptures. They saw them. That's how they knew that there was a Messiah coming to the Jews. Where is he? That's a question that every single person needs to ask themselves. Where is Jesus Christ in my life? Where is he in this world in my life? Where is he? It was a totally unexpected question coming from Gentile pagans. These guys were pagans. But they're wise men. They're called Magi. We're not really sure where they're from. There's all kinds of speculation out there, but they, it says in the Bible they came from the east. Where is he? Totally unexpected that his own people did not know. Think about that. They didn't know. They weren't looking at the star. They weren't heading to Bethlehem. And how about this? Where is he? How about the priests? They knew, but they could care less. They could not care. You know, it's interesting. Herod asked the priests, you know, what about this king? Where is he supposed to be born? They knew right away. They said Bethlehem. Because it's in the Bible. Micah 5.2 says that Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew. This is something I don't know if you're aware. And I, I, I thank God for the privilege I've had to go to Israel. Bethlehem is five miles away from Jerusalem. Five miles. It's not like it was half a country away. It was five miles away. You know how long it took to travel five miles that time? Maybe three hours. If that. If you're on a horse, you can do it a lot quicker. Three hours away, and they did not care enough to go see that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. How sad. You know, they pointed others to the Savior, but they didn't want to take the time personally to go see Jesus, the Messiah born. You know, you may be wondering as you study this scripture over the years and heard it preached many times at Christmas time and read your Bible. How could God send His Son into the world and the world could care less? The world did not know. Remember the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Well, verse 10 of that same scripture, John 1 says this. God's telling His people, He was in the world and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. He came to His own and His own did not receive Him. God knew John shared what God already knew. That they weren't going to know Him. Drop down to verse 11 in chapter 2 of Matthew for a second. Verse 11 said, and when they this is talking about the wise men. And when they'd come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother. Think about this. They didn't know what to expect. They might have been expecting a big castle in Bethlehem or a big royal palace or something in Bethlehem that they, to see Him you know, draped in fine linens and living in a beautiful, sterile area. But he gets to this and it's a little house there. It's no longer the major, and they're living in a house there. But they fell down and they worshiped him. The scripture goes on. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Don't you find it interesting that when they came to see the king, a little baby there, they knew right away it was Jesus? Listen very carefully. When you look for Jesus with all your heart, What does it say in the Bible? When you seek me and search me with all your heart, you'll find me. A little baby in a manger living with peasant parents, they realize this is the king. Jesus Christ allowed them to see that. Jesus Christ allowed us to see that, that we might realize that when we come face to face with Jesus, we're going to know who he is. When I receive Jesus Christ into my heart, I'm going to know who he is. Those wise men had a phenomenal drive. There's an enormous drive in many men seeking God. The question for you and I today is, do we have that same kind of drive inside us? Am I seeking the king with all I have? Am I looking for God with everything I have? Do I have an enormous drive to worship the king? We've talked about the divine birth of Jesus. We've talked about the unexpected worship. Now we have the hostility against the king. You know the story that the wise men were told by Herod when they went to Bethlehem. When you find him, send word back to me and come back to tell me where he's at so I can go worship him too. We know that was a lie. It's interesting though that people can be identified not only by their friends but also by their enemies. So I believe because it's also prophesized, we can realize that Jesus Christ was anointed the king because the world wanted to destroy him. Satan wanted to destroy him. Satan is a liar and a murderer. You know what Herod did? He lied, and he also murdered all those children. Joseph was warned to flee from Egypt, to flee to Egypt. God told him, hey, they're coming after you, so he told them to flee. And what what did Joseph do? He did it. You know, Matthew introduces hostility here in the New Testament. It's the first time we see the New Testament, but it's not too far in. It's just chapter 2, the very beginning of the New Testament. We see hostility. I want you to see something that's, I believe... Is very it, It's a, the it's a beauty of God's Word. It's profound, but it's the beauty of God's Word. Look with me, if you will, to verse 16, chapter 2. <clears throat> then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying... A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Moses, I'm not Moses, but Matthew put this into his holy word here as he's writing it by God's hand. That we would see, when I'm getting ready to share here, that there was great weeping and gnashing of teeth in Bethlehem because of the the slaughter of these children. It's not the first time that there had been weeping and gnashing of teeth, though, in Bethlehem. Jeremiah prophesies that, that scripture we just wrote that the prophet wrote Jeremiah comes from Jeremiah 31, five. It was written at the time of the Babylonian captivity when they carried off all the sons and daughters from Bethlehem to Babylon. And there was great crying there. But I want to go back for a second. All the way back in Genesis 35, we see Bethlehem first mentioned. Bethlehem's mentioned there because that is the burial place of Rachel. The favorite wife of Jacob. Okay, you remember that story. Rachel died giving birth to ultimately Benjamin. I don't know if you know this though, that when Rachel decided to name that son that was yet to be born, she named him Benone. Benoni. Rachel died giving birth to Benoni. Benoni, what does it mean in the Hebrew? It means son of my sorrow. Don't miss this. This is this is beautiful. God's word. Jacob renamed Benoni Benjamin. Benjamin means son of my right hand. Listen very carefully. Think about that. Benoni means son of my sorrow. Benjamin means son of my right hand. Rachel buried in Bethlehem where Jesus Christ was born. Jesus Christ is known as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's also now, it tells us in Acts, now the son of God's right hand. Both those names, 1,500 years prior to Jesus Christ showing up on the earth, speaking about those two boys and ultimately Jesus Christ. Just the, the, the depth and the interwoven secrets that God has in his Bible as we dig a little bit deeper and see these things and understand how God was prophesizing even all the way back then that his son. You know, up until the coming of Jesus Christ, Bethlehem was just a small city, but it was also known as a place of death because that's where Rachel died. But when Jesus Christ came, most people don't even know that Bethlehem is the the burial place of Rachel. What do they know Bethlehem as? The birth of Jesus Christ. So it's no longer, Bethlehem is no longer known as a place of death. It's It's now known as a place of life. The coming of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. As we... Study these scriptures and we dig deeper and deeper as we get into Matthew here. Jesus is on the way to the cross. The question for you and I this morning is, so what? I don't mean that to be coarse or or mean. I mean for you and I each to look at this thing, so what does that mean to me? What do these scriptures speak to me? As we look at those three presentations we looked at today, the wise men were worshiping the king. Herod was being hostile to the king, and those priests were being indifferent and ignoring the king. You know, as we think about the world today that we live in out there, there's those of us that worship the king. There are those truly out there that are hostile to the king, killing Christians and things we see around the world, unfortunately, the martyrdom of so many Christians through the generations. Then we have the Jewish priests, those that resemble them, that are just indifferent and ignore the truth of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been kind to express well wishes because you see your pastor shrinking a little bit. I'm working at it. Trying to diet and get in better shape and dump some of these pounds. I've realized over the years that it, it takes a change in lifestyle. And I've been up and down the scale a number of times and I used to be very fit at a younger age. But uh, trying to lose the weight. And as I've come to understand... Adopting a better lifestyle, I've realized that uh, it's not that hard to do. I can find some foods that are better for me. I can eat at better times, and so it's changing a lifestyle. Some of you have dealt with these things, and other things in your life you want to change, and so it's it's a matter of changing your lifestyle. I want to suggest something for you today to pray about in your life, and I'll pray if you have some of those issues like I do, but. Uh, I want you to think about spiritual transformation for just a second. I want to grow this year like never before. I love what Paul said in his word that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, God, may give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in his knowledge. Man, is that, is that powerful? I want that in my life. But it takes spiritual transformation in years of my life. God tells us in Romans 2, Romans twelve two, He says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. God gives us the pattern to it. But it takes, listen very carefully, a change of lifestyle. I need to be intentional. I need to be disciplined. I need to say, hey, this is something in my life that I want. I want to grow in the Lord. I want to leave the world behind, and I want to grow in in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I want to be more like Him. I want to have this life that God has promised, this life I know that's out there, this life that God has said, hey, I've come that you may have abundant life. I want that abundant life. And I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about being. I want to have that abundant being because Jesus Christ lives in me. And I'm growing every day in him. I'm seeing miracles. I want to change my lifestyle for his glory.